Welcome to the Lawyerist Podcast with Sam Glover and Aaron Street. Each week, Lawyerist brings you advice and interviews to help you build a more successful law practice in today's challenging and constantly changing legal market. And now, here are Sam and Aaron. Hi, I'm Sam Glover. And I'm Aaron Street, and this is episode 90 of the Lawyerist Podcast, where we talk with Guy Sakalakis about designing a client-centric law practice. Today's podcast is sponsored by Zero, beautiful legal accounting simplified. Find out more at Zero.com. That's X-E-R-O.com. Today's podcast is also sponsored by Ruby Receptionists. Ruby answers our phones at Lawyerist, so we don't have to worry about getting interrupted when we're being productive, and we think they are awesome. Visit callruby.com slash lawyerist to get a risk-free trial with Ruby. So, Aaron, today I want to talk about some news that came out a little while back, but is no less relevant today. And that's the news that the Florida State Bar Association, which is a mandatory bar, just decided that Florida lawyers will have to take tech CLE. Uh, It's not a lot. I think it's like three hours per reporting period. But Florida lawyers are now going to have to learn some basic tech competencies. I think that's really exciting news. One of the major reasons we have CLE is to prevent malpractice and to make sure lawyers are competently practicing law. We don't we don't have CLE for the purpose of CLE. We have CLE for a reason, and that's to make sure that lawyers are staying abreast of what they need to and being competent. Mm-hmm. Um, and tech competence is a huge part of what that competence means these days, in addition to substantive law. Um, But it's also one of the huge areas where people fuck up and get in trouble. (laughs) And so the fact that it's been overlooked for years as a primary thing lawyers must know is really exciting. Yeah. That said, three hours every three years is not enough to make anyone tech competent. It's not. And I, I admit to a certain amount of skepticism that in general... Bar associations and CLE organizations are going to provide the sort of CLE that really makes lawyers tech competent. Like, I'm curious as to what's going to be, what's going to count towards this and even more curious to what lawyers actually wind up taking and what they end up doing about it. Um, I mean, we, you know, I've, I've been giving lots of tech CLEs, so I guess I don't want to call myself incompetent, (laughs) but um, I always wonder how many lawyers actually go back to their offices and implement some of the simple things that I tell people they ought to do. Um, So, you know, but I guess it's incremental, right? A few at a time, and eventually maybe the profession gets on a roll. Well, and we've talked to a number of people in Florida about this, and John Stewart, one of the uh, Florida State Bar Association board members who kind of spearheaded this effort, He's he's doing it for the right reasons. It's not because he he mm-hmm. wants people to take garbage CLE and not get anything out of them. Um, and Adriana Linares, who we do a lot of stuff with, was behind this a lot. And she wants people to do this for the right reasons. And so I think there will be an effort in Florida to encourage lawyers to use this new three-credit mandate to actually learn things and become more tech-competent. So I think it's a great movement in the right direction. I think it's not enough both in that it's just Florida right now and that three hours is not enough to actually change the needle, move the needle here. But it's a great effort. I'm really excited and proud that they were able to get it passed. 
No, I am too. Like, I, I want to see more stuff like this. It's it's in the same vein as law schools need to integrate some practical skills and tech competence into the curriculum. I absolutely, uh, I absolutely believe that and support that. At the same time, I worry, are they going to do a good job of it? And and you're right. Like, I, I have a lot of confidence in some of the people who are behind this at the Florida State Bar Association, but it's all in the execution, right? It's <laughs> it's, a, it's a good move. I hope it works out and I'm optimistic for it because I love that it forces lawyers to actually focus on this and go, some somebody with authority is finally telling lawyers, no, you really have to do this. And that's really awesome. And I hope to see it. And so, I guess it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Are lawyers going to get the kind of CLE that they need. I hope so. But then are they actually going to take it and do something with it and um, and become something approaching competent with technology? And boy, do I sure hope so. Yeah. I mean, my I guess my big takeaway is stay tuned, but great job, Florida State Bar Association. I think that's right. Yeah, that's awesome. So, with that in mind, here's my conversation with Guy about building your law practice so that it is client-centric and designing it that way. So I'm Guy Sakalakis and I founded AttorneySync in 2008. I'm a still licensed lawyer, although non-practicing, and like to share ideas about how lawyers can develop new business. And we've had you on the podcast before to talk about online marketing, and try and get the bigger picture of what that all involves. But today we want to talk more about client service and uh, maybe how attorneys are or should be rethinking their relationship to their clients. So let's start out with that. Like what's wrong with the attorney-client relationship right now? Well, I think like many things, uh, we've established these habits uh, with dealing with clients. And, you know, this is one of the things that I talk about with lawyers all the time. One of the first questions I ask is, you know, how do you interface with clients? Do you, uh, you know, do they call you? Do they come in? You know, what does all that look like? And like many other areas, uh, it's, it seems to me that a lot of the, there's a lot of stuff that hasn't changed. And that's not to say that you shouldn't have face-to-face communication with clients and you shouldn't be developing a personal relationship with clients. You, you certainly should, uh, but I think what's what's changed is that the clients have different expectations. I mean, um, you're, you're talking about like lo- lawyers still insist on lots of phone calls. Um, they send their invoices by snail mail and they communicate primarily by mail. Lots of lawyers want clients to come and make the trek into their office for meetings, stuff like that, right? Right. And and, and vice versa, right? So there's also, uh, you know, there's a, a lawyers have a resistance to, you know, one of the things we hear every year is that the leading cause of grievances uh, and malpractice claims is not keeping clients in the loop with what's going on with their cases. And so, again, I think a lot of it on the other end of the spectrum. We're, we're not going to communicate you, with you, but when we do, it's going to be on our terms and we're going to make sure and do it in an old way. Thank you for saying that much more <laughs> <laughs> concisely than I was saying it. <laughs> exactly that right. That sounds about right, though. That's right. No, and we still see it. I mean, I, I, we, I was, um, you know, we were just talking to the lawyer the other day, and you know, it's he, we were talking about how, hey, when people call you, how do you answer the phone? Well, I don't answer the phone. Everything goes to voicemail, and then I call them back at my leisure. I bet that's really effective. <laughs> well, I think I mean, <laughs> I've, been, I've, I've been the client of lawyers before, and no, it's not very fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and I, I guess. Um, 
that's what you get when you get a monopoly, right? Where else are people going to go? They've got to come and they've got to come and do things my way. And I, I guess lawyers don't necessarily think that they're forcing clients to do things their way. But um, you're right. When we talk about adopting new technologies, we're often talking about it from the perspective of the lawyer's convenience. But you're suggesting that we ought to be thinking about it in terms of the client's convenience, desire, need, want, whatever, right? Right. And, and, and you know, look, th- we, we see this across so many industries where people have changed the way that they're interfacing with their customers. And, uh, you know, lawyers just tend to be more resistant to those types of things. But I'll tell you what. I've seen some lawyers that have what I would call this client-centric approach where they're do, and we'll get more into this, but where they're actually asking clients, how would you prefer that we communicate? Here's some expectation setting of how we can communicate. Um, And this also, I think it's important to note, like this isn't talking about unlimited access because Mm -hmm. obviously if lawyers are just, you know, sitting by the phone waiting for their clients to call at their leisure, that's not going to work either. But at least having the conversation, getting feedback, and then actually, you know, using some of these systems to be able to put them in place, that's really where I, th- where I think lawyers have a great opportunity. And I think the lawyers that are doing it, uh, they're making their clients happy. And their clients are like, wow, this is great. I don't have to drive 45 minutes to drop something off at your office every whenever you need it. So, you you kind of alluded to this, but um, your attorney-client communication, re- your relationship begins the very first time they call. That's right. And you don't answer the phone. <laughs> <laughs> you don't answer the phone um, or they can't find any, they can't even find how to get a hold of you, right? I mean, I, yeah, there's I also suppose, lawyers that... I suppose you could uh, you could characterize that as um, setting expectations, but it feels like you're setting the expectation that you're going to be a dick to your clients. <laughs> <laughs> right? And, that, and that's the thing is, and, you know, and it even happens before... They become a client, like you were suggesting. Uh, it happens really early on, and it can. A lot of lawyers make it very difficult to find out how they contact them by design, right? Mm-hmm. So they're, you know, um, and again, depending on what your practice looks like, maybe you have reasons where you don't want to receive communication a certain way, and that's fine too. But the more difficult, the more friction you create, the more difficult you make, the more you're going to frustrate both potential clients, people who might refer you clients, and your existing clients. So, you've uh, used the term client-centric a couple of times. Um, how, do we, how do we do that? What it, I mean, what do you mean by client-centric and how should a lawyer take a look at their practice and think about it in that way? Sure. So, the, you know, and this is really something that lawyers should be doing more uh, universally, even beyond just communication, but it's it's really putting the client at the center of your practice, right? So we know that when we talk about things like ethical obligations and lawyers providing a professional service, we know that the client's interests are paramount. Um, but when it comes to communication, I'm just all I'm really saying is just apply that same kind of thinking. And so tactically, what that looks like is. Um, one is that you're having these conversations and getting feedback from your clients on a regular basis. That, that to me is the most obvious one because everybody's clients and everybody's practice are going to be slightly different. Um, there's not a universal rule, but I think if you're going to think of one universal rule, it's listen to what your clients are telling you and actually give them a platform to say, hey, you know what? It would be a lot easier if we did this and provide a, a way for them to do that. So mm-hmm. it really comes down to listening to clients and asking for feedback. But, um, you know, tactically, that can be surveys. That can be just asking them. That can be, um, you know, people talk about things like net promoter score. That could be, it can, there's a lot of different tools at your disposal 
Um, but I, but it all starts with just kind of changing the thinking from this is the way I do it no matter what. And you either do it my way or find a different lawyer. I mean, because it seems like there's probably low hanging fruit in every practice where if you really stop and think about the way you're doing things, like if you use a phone tree when people call, right. you can probably reflect on the fact that you hate phone trees whenever you reach them. And maybe that's not the best way to greet new clients or even existing clients. And so, like, I imagine some of it is low-hanging fruit, but you're suggesting some more advanced ways to solicit feedback from your customers and try and drag out of them the problems that they might be having. Yeah, right. I, th- I think that uh, that's um, that's right. At it. But I, but what you're saying, I think, is right on, too. It's, it's really putting yourself in the client's position when they're dealing with you. So, shopping your own firm, you know, call your – if you don't answer – if you're if you're not a solo – you have somebody else answering the phone or if you have other associates or partners or staff or whatever, call your firm mm-hmm. and see what it's like to ask for things and see what it's like. And, and um, you know, you can even have clients do that or, um, you know, hey, I would like you to shop us and give us feedback on what it was like to try to get this document processed or signed or whatever it is and see how easy it was. And it would be better to find people that um, that aren't you and that don't care what you think. So that they give you really honest, unvarnished feedback, I think. Right, absolutely. I mean, that's the best. And, um, you know, and you, I mean, there's a, there's a variety of ways you can do that. I mean, there are, there are even services if you're, depending on what your firm looks like. But I know that there are firms that hire these firm, these other companies that will come in and actually shop you and say, you know, what's it like to, you know, they'll, they'll rate you on ter- in terms of how you're answering the phone, how easy it is to get a hold of a lawyer. Um, I know that the the ABA did a, a mini kind of survey on this recently too, and it's you see this time and time again. It's you know, lawyers, it's ta- it's very difficult to get a lawyer on the phone. Uh, it's very difficult, and you know, we understand lawyers are are very busy. Uh, they're doing a lot of other things, but the, the good news is is that there are so many different uh, simple tools you can put in place to make a lot of this stuff a lot less cumbersome for both the client and the lawyer. Why don't you mention a couple of those? Because um, you mentioned uh, surveys and net promoter score and stuff, but like what's an easy way to try and uh, – well, f- first of all, what is net promoter score? And second, what's an easy way to try and figure it out and, and get good feedback from it? So net promoter score is really – and this is not the end-all, be-all of feedback assessments, but it's basically how on a scale of 1 to 10 – how likely are you to recommend me to, uh, you know, friends or colleagues? And the if you are an eight, nine, ten, then they're a promoter. I'm might not be getting all the terminology right, just for you the are. record. But um, a one, two, and three, you're a detractor, and that means that you're actually a liability. Those are people that are probably they're likely not to refer uh, people to you, and they're also likely to leave negative reviews online and not likely to continue to be your client. And then four, five, six are kind of like meh. Yeah, just neutral. Eh. Right. <laughs> and and <laughs> not bad, not great. And the obvious idea is if you are trying to build a business, you need promoters. Um, you're not being hurt by neutral people, but you're not growing your business off their backs either. And you want to avoid detractors. And so the idea is when you add all this stuff up, you figure out what percentage you have of each. Um, if the number is positive, then you're growing. Um, but you'd like to be growing more than, say, 1%. <laughs> it's not really right. growth. Um and and that's a really simple, easy way to get feedback. And I, we've talked about it with some other lawyers, um, and some some lawyers will actually reach out to the neutral people and try and figure out like what is it that's making you, that makes you not a raging fan. They'll also reach out to detractors maybe and say, "Wow, like how did we screw this up?" Right. You can get really good feedback, although 
Um, I, I was, I've been reading a book on user experience, user interface design recently, and there, it, it made a really, really good point that you have to be careful um, that you don't just take people's criticism and try and fix that thing, but you try and get to the root of the problem. Right. And anyone has, who accepts criticism has, has gotten this again and again. And any lawyer who's ever served a client realizes that the client's complaint isn't necessarily related to or their legal claims aren't necessarily related to what they're actually hoping to get. Um, and so, the advice in this book uh, that I was reading was just make sure you keep drilling down why. You know, why Why um, are you upset about communication? Um, and chances are, like, they, it wasn't even that they wanted you to communicate more, although that may be what they say. What they really are upset about is that they didn't get a particular kind of communication at the time they wanted it. Like, maybe because you sent it by mail, they didn't, they don't check their mailbox very often or they don't open their letters and so they didn't get it. And maybe they didn't actually need more communication. They just needed you to email it to them or something. Right, exactly. And that and that's why have those conversations up front. How do you prefer that I contact you? Here are some options. You know, our firm has a client portal. Mm-hmm. Our firm has, um, you know, we use this communication app if you wanted to go that route. It does email work for you. You know, I think that the, one of the biggest problems is, you know, it's kind of, uh, meta here, but it's like communication about communication, right? Mm-hmm. Like you're not actually having conversations about what are the way clients prefer. And, um, you know, there's a default position that lawyers just say, you know, look, you're lucky to have me as a lawyer and you're going to do it. This is the way we do things. And if you don't want to do things my way, then go find a different lawyer. And, you know, I think that the market plays out like that. I think you see, you know, I, I can't tell you how many times in just anecdotally, uh, you know, both we'll talk to lawyers about how they're fielding inbound phone calls. And when you get answers like, yeah, we don't, no one answers the phone here. We expect people to have voicemails and then we respond to them when we want to, how those firms are struggling mm-hmm. and how they're, they're, they're client, they're not signing clients up. Um, and you know, it's, sometimes it's, it's, it's obvious, but uh, it's, it's also a habit thing. It's so easy. You know, you can even think about these things, but then to actually build systems and then to live those habits so that you don't, you are keeping regular contact with clients. Um, and, and certainly one of the biggest, I mean, one of the best ways to develop new business is just to stay in touch with the people who already know and like you. Yeah, right. Which it, it, it's amazing how many lawyers just don't stay in touch with former clients. But uh, let me, let me uh, follow up on something that you, I heard you mention there, which is, you threw in client portals, which I don't really want to dig into too deeply into that. But as you know, I believe that every lawyer should have some kind of a secure communication portal because I think email is not sufficiently safe for everything that you might want to communicate. So let's say you agree with me and you I do. and and you have decided, well, I need I need my clients to use this. Now I'm back to in the position of dictating how we are going to communicate which may not be happy and comfortable for my clients. But like, how do you balance that when I've got a really darn good reason why I think we ought to do things this way? And it's a way that my client really probably isn't interested in doing. How do I, how do I try to get them their, their buy-in and how do I try to make that work so that they end up being happy because of it, not upset because I didn't do it their way? Well, you explain to them why it's in their best interest. And I, and I, I the other thing I would say too is, is that, um, you know, it's not like just having a client portal that doesn't solve the inherent problem, right? That's mm-hmm. just another tool in your toolbox that you can say, here's a way for us to interface with each other. 
How would you prefer to interface? You know, do you want to have, you know, again, some clients might say, I would, you know, hey, you say to the client, sending these communications via email. And I I think also it's important to note here, there are some conversations, you know, there are conversations you can have that I think are fine via email and there are some that you can't. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that going to your client and saying, you know, look, when we're talking about your situation, we're talking about things that are um, privileged that we shouldn't have these conversations here. It's it, There's a reason why it might be inconvenient for you, but here's why it's in your best interest to do those things. And I'm also providing you other options so that we can uh, efficiently communicate. And of course, you're going to have clients who do, um, you know, one, they're going to do things that they shouldn't do, but two, that they're going to prefer, some clients might prefer to come in. Some clients might prefer to have phone calls. Um, and so again, it's, it's not just, I'm not sitting here saying just totally acquiesce to whatever the client wants, right? Um, but provide them options and have those conversations and set those expectations in advance, but don't just presume that, you know, you get to do it your way and then clients just have to either take it or leave it. And if, I mean, again, you can do that. I'm just telling you, I know from talking to these lawyers that the market is the market, the expectations of clients is changing. And and again, I you know, there'll be a lot of lawyers, I'm sure, say, well, I don't care. They're wrong. The clients are wrong. And it's like, that's fine. But remember, the client, you're serving the client. So the clients are going out and finding lawyers that are willing to provide them these alternatives. It's interesting, isn't it? We talk uh, every time I, I feel like every time I want to talk about technology, there's some uh, lawyer in the room who's like, stop talking about technology. It's all about serving clients. Right. But if I started asking them, okay, let's talk about client service. How many options do you offer your clients for the way that you communicate? Um, you know, how, how willing are you to, uh, to do things in the way that works for your client to make sure that you have an effective communication plan, to make sure that you are on the same page with the results you're looking for? I, I bet a lot of those same lawyers um, would and not have a great answer. And um, so, it's interesting that the client service is, we're talking about more than just getting the client a good result. We're talking about actually running a good business that your clients want to be a part of. Right. And, and you know, and I, I don't want to go down the thing about the good result stuff, but that in and of itself is, you know, in the eye of the beholder, right? I mean, yes. <laughs> a lot of clients don't even know what a good result is. A lot of other lawyers, uh, at least I think to me, the ones that know what they're talking about can recognize that, Good result is a very nebulous concept. Uh, there are so many factors that go into a good result. So we're going to take two minutes for our sponsors. And when we come back, I want to expand uh, this idea of optimizing for the client experience and talk about, you know, what else should go into it and what other kinds of things should we be thinking about uh, when we're trying to create the experience that we hope our clients have. Billable hours are the lifeblood of a successful law practice. Problem is you still have to bill those hours. Even if your law firm has an accountant, tracking hours, clients, rates, preparing invoices, and collecting on those invoices is time you never get paid for. And writing notes to yourself in court or on the road is inefficient and error-prone. Run your legal practice better with cloud accounting software and see why over 600,000 small businesses love Zero, including Lawyerist. Get a free trial at Zero.com. That's X-E-R-O.com. Beautiful accounting software. This podcast is supported by Ruby Receptionists. As a matter of fact, Ruby answers our phones at Lawyerist, and my firm was a paying Ruby customer before that. Here's what I love about Ruby. 
When I'm in the middle of something, I hate to be interrupted, so when the phone rings, it annoys me, and that often carries over into the conversation I have after I pick up the phone. Which is why I'm better off not answering my own phone. Instead, Ruby answers the phone, and if the person on the other end asks for me, a friendly, cheerful receptionist from Ruby calls me and asks if I want them to put the call through. It's a buffer that gives me a minute to let go of my annoyance and be a better human being during the call. If you want to be a better human being on the phone, give Ruby a try. Go to callruby.com slash lawyerist to sign up, and Ruby will waive the $95 setup fee. If you aren't happy with Ruby for any reason, you can get your money back during your first three weeks. I'm pretty sure you'll stick around, but since there is no risk, you might as well try. And we're back. And so, Guy, we've been focusing kind of on communication, which is central for a number of reasons, and it probably plays into a lot of the other things, but like... When we're talking about trying to improve our client's experience with us, what other kinds of things should we be thinking about? Well, you know, obviously we've got to, you know, and you alluded to this earlier, you've got to think about uh, privacy concerns and how secure any kind of technology we're talking, whether that's how you're using your phone or how you're using an app or whatever. Um, you've got to take those things into consideration. You certainly want to understand, you know, so many lawyers I I just know they're using some kind of technology without actually having, you know, understanding about what risks are. So understand those risks is important. And I don't, I don't know if we want to go down the whole uh, privacy uh, stuff, but I think that talking about that is an important thing, just as, as at least to giving it a nod. Um, but then it's you, you really start to get into all sorts of different things. I mean, um, and I don't know, I, I'll admit that I don't know what the um, current uh, thinking in terms of Slack security is, but <laughs> that messaging apps like that um, are the types of things that I think should be at least on the table for consideration. Um, you know, and, and again, that's just one client portal. That's an easy one. But how about how about just also saying, you know, look, I'm going to in my CRM or in my practice management tool, I am going to commit to making an agreement with the client about how frequently we're going to update the client. And I'm going to create a reminder that I need to actually update this client on this case. I mean, again, some of this stuff is more behavioral and it's using the actual it's not even how you're having the communication it's using the tool as a prompt to change your behavior so that you're not like, oh, I forgot to update so-and-so and it's been two months now because I wrote it on a post-it note and it was on my wall and it fell off right. behind my desk. And I know? suppose it plays into things like um, how you write your retainer agreements so that, you know, your clients can understand them and how you present them. I think it probably plays into uh, the billing arrangements that you decide to come up with and your billing practices and I guess a lot of this stuff um, goes gets down to communication in the end, um, but it seems like this can permeate your practice. I mean, how do what kind of what kind of coffee do you serve in your in your uh, lobby? Assuming that you actually uh, that you actually think it's worth uh, forcing your clients to come into the office, um, it seems like all of that stuff is part of crafting the client experience, and it's just as a matter of putting your head in your client's head and talking to your clients. And trying to figure out, like, how do you want them to to have an have a relationship with your firm? Do you just want it to be showing up and seeing you twice, or do you actually want there to be them to come away with an impression? That's right, and you know, and uh, I will uh, freely admit that this is the kind of the hot word of the hour. But you know, people are talking about how do you delight clients, um, <laughs> or how do you delight users, or whatever it is. And it's true, though. I mean, it, the, the thing is, is that. This kind of stuff, it doesn't even, like you were talking about, it doesn't even have to be technology, right? It's actually 
thinking about your client, listening to your client, and then making adjustments to your practice. And they're little things. They're, they can be very minor things that really make clients like, wow, that's different. I remember that. That's remarkable. And again, it's not related solely to um, surely the outcome, uh, because again, a lot of them come in, they don't even know what a good outcome is, but they know what it's like to be listened to. They know what it's like to feel like they've been treated with respect. And they know what it's, it's like to see like, oh, this lawyer actually has done some things to go out of their way, even though they're small, to make my life a little bit easier. And what I think is interesting about delight is it takes you about halfway, um, right? Like if, you, if you're not if you're not impressing your clients, then you're just not impressing your clients. But like you can try and, try and create delightful experiences. Um, but I feel like uh, I think it was last year at the Clio Cloud Conference, one of the keynotes was about uh, was citing some statistics that delight gets you your net promoter score up to neutral, but it doesn't really push you over the hump. Uh, and the way over the hump is to remove effort, right? It's why mm-hmm. people like Uber, despite the fact that it's a terrible company run by a sociopath. And, <laughs> you know, so like, um, I love Uber. It's like the greatest thing. It's the greatest experience in the world. Not because, not even because they're delighting me, but they are in, in ways. They're delighting me by making that experience so easy that all I have to do is tap a button on my phone and a car shows up and takes me where I want to go. Right, um, And I can get out without fumbling for change or waiting for a really long credit card processing terminal to finally bill my card. Um, exactly. And so, it's the, the point of that talk and, and I think uh, the, the second piece of the client experience is once you are convinced that you've made things um, delightful for your client, you should also be focusing on how do you make them easier. And, uh, you know, maybe your clients really want to come into your office, but I'm really confident that if you could serve most of your clients' needs without making them come into your office, they would be a lot happier about that. And that's that's what it's all about, right? It's about actually going to the client and say, hey, uh, you know, you're welcome to come in if you want, but you're just dropping off this document. Here's a way for you to get that to us and sign it in a much more efficient and uh, frictionless, easier uh, process Given the option, offer it up to them. I'll have those options available. I, I think that in and of itself can go a long way, even if they still choose to to do something else. Like the fact that you actually thought and you're you're giving them an option and thought about, hey, they, he actually asked, he or she actually asked me, uh, what would be easier for me? That is the part that's missing oftentimes. Mm-hmm. For whatever reason, another thought popped into my head. I really don't like using Basecamp anymore. Um, and Basecamp is project management software for those who might not be familiar. And uh, I, I think it's not very good anymore. But, uh, but I used to be really impressed by one of the previous incarnations of it. Um, and one of the things that really impressed me was that nobody, people don't need to use Basecamp in order to benefit from Basecamp. Um, and what I mean by that is when you invite somebody to a project, they sign up and create an account and then they never have to log in again because they can interact with it almost exclusively through email. They can upload files by attaching them to emails. They can respond to comments by um, by responding to emails. They can even check off tasks that have been assigned to them. So, they can basically use Basecamp uh, about half to 75% of it without ever logging in. And I, I just wonder if maybe there's something, uh, an interesting analogy there for firms. Could you could you let people use your law firm and, and get legal services from you without really having to, right? Could you just, could you get them in the door? sign a retainer, retainer agreement with them and and solve their legal problem without really asking much more of them beyond that. 
maybe maybe some practices can. Maybe that's an interesting approach. Um, the question is, of course, I guess, can you keep them as a client after that? But um, my guess is if you delight them and make that, that process effortless, you probably can. Right. And, and you know, I think that, um, you know, there are a lot of lawyers that are working on solving these kind of problems, um, whether it's writing uh, apps and AI and chatbots and things that, that do a lot of that kind of stuff. Um, I think there's a, a ways to go there, but, you know, hey, they're, if they're thinking about it. And again, to me, it's more this, you know, the conversation really stems from changing the mindset from this, it's my way or the highway to uh, I'm, I'm thinking about my client. I'm putting myself in my client's shoes. I'm listening to my client. I'm giving them options. Uh, and technology provides a lot of great options, but, you know, again, a lot of these things, they don't even have, to, they're, they're less about finding the right app and they're more about getting the feedback, giving options, um, and making sure that you're staying in touch uh, on a regular basis. However, you, however yeah. you both agree to do that. You know, for lawyers who are less comfortable with technology, um, I wonder if the better analogy is a concierge. Nobody uses a concierge for anything interesting anymore, but like, but there used to be all these great stories of, you know, you're, somebody asks to have a Puma sent up to their room at 2.30 in the morning and the great concierge at the five-star hotel somehow figures out a way to get a Puma into the hotel room at 2.30 in the morning, right? Like the concierge at a, at a five-star hotel should be able to make any experience happen. Um, yes, you'll have to pay for it, but like if you want tickets to the sold out Broadway show, um, at a certain thing, then a great concierge should be able to figure out a way to scare up a couple of tickets for you to pay for. And, um, and I wonder if that sort of, um, it's not bending over backwards. It's, it's making shit happen. And I wonder if that's a good analogy for lawyers who might not be so comfortable with, um, us recommending technology solutions, but um, just a change in perspective on client service. No, I think that's a great analogy. Um, you know, again, it 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 really is about uh, having those conversations and switching from the mindset of, uh, you know, you're lucky to have me. To <laughs> how can I actually provide you with the kind of service uh, that you expect? And and again, the other thing too is is to a large extent. Uh, it's it's out of the lawyer's control. The clients are their expectations have changed. I mean, all of our expectations have changed as consumers. Um, and again, I don't think that the 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 solution here is always uh, you know the do it yourself stuff. Uh, even though that's how our mindset uh, has developed, the the key is is to say you know look, I'm hearing what you're you're telling me. I'm hearing what your problem is. I'm giving you some options. Uh, I'm asking you for your feedback. And again, it, it really comes down to this idea of people know what it's like to feel like they're treated with respect and dignity. And a lot of that comes from just the communication process. That's why, you know, I th some of the um, you know lawyers that can empathize tend to be better at client service than those that are just, you know, this is this is what I do. And you take it or leave it. Um, you know, and that might, maybe that does work for some lawyers, but I, I know that the, a lot of them that work in it are working with, uh, you know, John Q public, uh, their the expectations with people on in general have changed to the point where if, you know, they, there's another lawyer lined up for them to call, uh, even ones that you're getting word of mouth referrals. That's the other thing I always hear is like, well, oh, you know, 
someone that's referred to me from a friend, they're always going to leave a voicemail and they're always <laughs> going to give me more time to respond. And no, they're not because they have another friend who knows another lawyer. Yeah. So, um, do you have any books that you'd recommend to our listeners to, um, to help guide them as they rejigger their brains on thinking about client service? Hmm. Books off the top of my head. Well, I'll tell you one that this is, this is kind of, it's loose to this, but I think that for me, it's really, and we, I know we've talked about this before, but is the culture blueprint, um, which really is, they're talking more about internally at your business, but Mm -hmm. the concepts apply in my opinion to um, even client service, because you talk about things like helping them co-create the relationship with you and opting in. So, you know, again, this goes to the account like clients have accountability when they, yep. when you make an agreement with a client about how you're going to communicate and the client breaks that agreement, going to the client and say, Hey, this is what we agreed to. That's fine. And then and again, it's healthy because a lot of clients, they need that. They need the, they need your expertise and they need your um, judgment to come in and say, this is, you know, you got to be held accountable. So I like culture blueprint. Um, there are all sorts of great, I was just, I was, before we get on today, I was uh, poking around some blogs uh, on client service. I'm trying to think of another one that I, um, well, while you're thinking, I'll, I'll yeah. give one that I really like. Yeah, what um, you I, I think, um, there's a lot to be learned from some of the more, um, layperson friendly design literature out there. Um, and I recently read a book by Lucas Matthias or Matthias. I'm not sure. Um, that's Lucas with a K in the middle and Matthias is M-A-T-H-I-A-S. Um, and his book is called Designed for Use. And it's sort of a, um, it, it's a, an introductory book to user experience, user interface design. And people listening have tuned out by now and your eyes are glazed over because why the heck would you want to know about user interface design? But maybe it'll make sense when I explain that user centric design is what is not just, I mean, everything about user experience design and user interface design right now is about user centric design. And so like when, when Clio talks about releasing a new app and they've really focused on reducing the number of taps and the amount of scrolling that you have to do, that's why, like they're trying to make it easier for you to get your work done um, because they're focused on how you want to work. Um, that's what user-centric design is. And that's what this book is about. It's about how to build software interfaces um, with the user in mind. But the entire thing is a perfect analogy for client service. And as I'm reading the book, of course, I'm thinking about redesigning lawyerist and how I want to approach that. But I'm also thinking, my God, like I, I could use all of this stuff in putting together a law firm. And so, if you're not afraid to read things that are not explicitly labeled for lawyers, which drives me crazy. Um, There's nothing for lawyers about user or client or customer centric um, principles. Um, Go ahead and pick up designed for use. And I think it'll be interesting because it's outside of what you normally read. And I think you'll see that it all is just a straight line from UI design to designing a law firm. Right. I mean, that's, I mean, it's really, when you think about it, it's, it's just interactions, right? And that's, what you're doing when you're providing a services is understanding and uh, thinking about how interactions and how to make interactions more, whether it's easy or frictionless uh, or useful. Well, Guy, thank you so much for being with us today and uh, getting us hopefully to get our listeners to think more about how to please and delight and make the experience effortless for their clients. I really appreciate having you on. Thanks for having me. Great talking with you. 
Make sure you catch next week's episode of The Lawyerist Podcast. Subscribe to The Lawyerist Podcast in iTunes or in your favorite podcast app. You can listen to it at lawyerist.com slash podcast. You can also subscribe to The Lawyerist Insider, our weekly newsletter. Just go to lawyerist.com and look down the sidebar or click on newsletter up at the top. We'll remind you where to find the podcast whenever we release a new episode. Thanks for listening.